It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am excited to welcome back to the show Duncan Lennox, CEO of QStream. Duncan, how are you doing? Great, Andy. Thanks for having me back. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So, may for people that missed your first appearance on the show, briefly introduce yourself and, and what you do. Sure. Well, I'm the co-founder and CEO of QStream, and we're an enterprise SaaS company in the sales enablement space. We're actually originally a spin-off from Harvard Medical School, and our platform allows large sales forces to measure and manage and drive the capabilities of their sales force. And it's all based on a decade of neuroscience research that was conducted at Harvard Medical School into the brain science, essentially, of how we drive behavior change in people. Yeah, interesting. You won't have many sales-oriented startups that come from a med school, so that's uh, that's an interesting path. It makes us a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, it does. So, um, yeah, if people want to hear more about you know, basics of QStream, go back to. I encourage you to go back to the first episode. Um, great discussion about that. But today we're going to start talk about how QStream is evolving, and also talk about sales coaching, which is sort of the next step in your product evolution as well. And you know, this is a topic that. Gosh, is getting a lot of lot of play these days. You know, it's constantly sort of the push pull. I think for management between all the various demands on their time, especially you know, given sort of the increasing sort of data orientation of their jobs, is how much time do they have left for coaching? And most of the research seems to show that they really don't have a lot of time left over. Or they're not allocating or prioritizing making the time left over uh, for coaching. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of great data out there that shows it might be as little as 45 minutes per month that a sales manager has to spend actually coaching with an individual rep. And even when they spend that time, as much as two thirds of it gets spent on short term pipeline opportunities. So not the longer term development of the skills of the rep. Yeah, well, I think some of the a report that you helped uh, sponsor by the Sales Management Association, yeah, had that figure. I think it was 36 minutes per month, actually, was the figure they used for <laughs> average coaching per individual, uh, per rep, by a manager, which, you know, think about that, that's nine, <laughs> nine minutes, nine minutes, oh, gosh, less than that, seven minutes a day. So yeah, just basically I, a time, it, time enough to say hello. Absolutely. I mean, and it seems crazy because at the end of the day, sales management is really all about coaching and mentoring. How can we help reps, you know, close more business faster? Yeah. I mean, I, I've gone on record and said that if you're not coaching and you're a manager, what are you doing? I mean, right, exactly. I mean, part of it, and I, it's sort of an interesting question. I've had this conversation with others recently is, is, yeah, sometimes you just have to do the right thing as a manager. I mean, it's, it's, we've all been in this position. There's certainly demands on their times, but increasingly, I think managers have to sort of say, look, take responsibility for their own success and sort of push back on some of these requirements that are being laid on them by upper management. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes what happens is they get overwhelmed by, you know, for want of a better word, bureaucracy, right, where there's just other things they have to do in terms of like, you know, whether it's TPS reports or, you know, or, or whatever Dilbert-esque stuff uh, right. we might 
it might end up being. And uh, also a lot of it is the inefficiency of the process. I mean, where you're, where you're working with a direct sales force, a lot of it ends up being ride-alongs or the equivalent thereof, you know, where you have to spend your time out in the field with your reps. And you know, that's a good thing. It's not that that's a yeah. bad thing, well, that's... but it's very inefficient from a time point of view. Obviously, you spend a lot of time in cars and on airplanes and not a lot of time necessarily one-on-one with the rep uh, talking about issues and longer-term development. Well, certainly ride-alongs are a perfect vehicle to, to do that. No pun intended on the vehicle. Yeah. But, yeah, a yeah, no t- perfect opportunity to do that. But, I mean, increasingly, as sales comes inside and more sales are done virtually, yeah, some of the ride-alongs don't happen quite as much as they used to. So it seemed like from that report with, with the Sales Management Association report on coaching that sort of the areas that the managers thought were the most important really are the, the skills assessments and the skills coaching. And more so than the specific deal coaching. Yeah, I, I mean, I think people recognize where the value in coaching is. I don't think they're setting out to not do coaching or not do it well. But I think they're often lacking the information, the data that they need to be able to be effective coaches. I mean, typically, a lot of sales managers, if not all, have been reps themselves and usually very successful reps. That's often how they got the sales manager job in the first place by being a rock star rep. So sure. they know how, they know how to win deals. They know how to close deals. They've got a lot of great knowledge and experience to share. What they don't necessarily have is the data on this rep that I'm talking to today. What do they know and not know? Where are they weak? Where are they strong? And that's, I think, always been one of the challenges in coaching. And sometimes in the past, that's been addressed by trying to get the reps to do some kind of self-assessment to give a sense of where they are. You know, that's not a very pleasant experience for reps to have to go through. And all the data shows that as human beings, we tend to substantially overestimate our skills anyway. So the data you get out of that isn't even very reliable, even if you can get them to participate. Well, yeah. And and I know all sorts of assessment tools claim they can self-correct for that. But I, I think that's probably not very realistic in the long term to say that's what they do. Yeah, I think it's a challenge. I think it's a challenge. And and that, that's why, you know, from our point of view, of course, we take a different approach where we're gathering a picture a, a little bit at a time every day. And that lets us build up a very rich picture over a relatively short period of time. And it also lets us control and manage for those things because it's gathered every day and you build the picture over time rather than relying on some single self-assessment or something of that nature. So if there's general agreement and increasing consensus about gosh, we need to do more sales coaching. Yet at the same time, there seems to be a little impetus to change, right? I mean, so in many organizations, and the inertia is too extreme. And as we talked about before, so the multiple demands on managers' time. So what, what's going to be the, you know, the inflection point that's going to make things change? That's so going to have you know, managers as well as senior level managers sort of wake up and say, yeah, if we have a choice about where to invest our time and effort to improve our overall sales productivity, this is where it needs to be in coaching because you know, I think Jason Jordan talks about cracking the sales management code is, is yeah. that you know, the investment in sales management, training sales managers to coach has about the highest ROI you can get in terms of training investments you'd make as an organization. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a few things going on. And, and, and you know, firstly, it's, it's difficult to realize that ROI ultimately. I think most people would intuitively agree that the value is there, but it's been difficult to, to actually realize that value, particularly at scale. And I think at scale is a, a big part of the challenge. So it's relatively easy to do something for a small group of people, but how do you scale it up for a large organization? But, but we have the contrary evidence on hand, though, that by not investing, it's also not working. 
Right. So I mean, you have, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you quote on your website the CSO Insight stats. Everybody sort of is aware of these that, you know, fewer than 50% of sales reps in B2B environments make their quota year after year. So the evidence is, and yet organizations continue to increase their revenue targets year after year, too. So we have the evidence that not coaching doesn't work. So why, yeah, is this, well, why is this so hard to say, okay, well, the choices of things we can make to do, invest in to make a difference, coaching seems like an obvious one. Well, part of it, I think, is, is I mean, as you talked about inertia, and, you know, unfortunately, if, if the world acted always rationally based on objective evidence, we'd probably have a lot fewer problems than we have in the world, generally speaking. <laughs> so, you know, that may, be, that may be part of it, but maybe I'm just a cynic because I'm Irish. But, but I think to the, to the question you were asking before that, that also relates to this is what's changing or why now? I think you've got two curves that are crossing. And so the pain of the problem is growing. Right. So I think we've seen a lot of sales forces get smaller. I think we've seen a lot of sales forces where reps are being asked to carry larger quotas, smaller territories, more products. So there's more and more pressure on productivity per rep if you wanted to dial it back to that metric. So and that's that's crossing a pain threshold that I think is different to where we've been before, maybe reaching a critical mass of pain, if you will. The positive uh, curve that's bending in the opposite direction is the ability to leverage technology to gather the data. So, you know, perhaps it's a, you know, it's a, it's becoming a little bit of a cliche, but the rise of mobile devices in the enterprise is creating new ways to capture data and make it easier and more frequent than ever before. So those two things kind of cross each other. And suddenly now we can capture more data about what reps are doing more effectively and without too much pain for the reps. And the need to do something is just becoming just a clarion cry, I think, in, in large sales organizations. So is one of the issues, and this is a slight digression, but is one of the issues that we fundamentally don't understand what productivity means in sales? I, I think that is true. I mean, I think there's a huge issue around that. I think we understand pipeline metrics, funnel metrics, forecasting, but I'm not sure we understand what productivity means in terms of the core selling skills of the rep. You know, I mean, one of the examples that I often give when I'm talking to sales leadership is look at all the time and money and energy you spend in marketing to get leads into the top of the funnel or in sales then to move those sales qualified leads through the process, enabling the reps, the tools, the technologies, the training, etc. The reality is, even with inside sales, it still often all comes down to a single two or three minute conversation that that rep will have with the prospect. And all the data shows that as much as two out of three times, they'll screw it up. <laughs> so all the pipeline analysis in the world is not going to fix that. And we've kind of been ignoring no, no, right. the room, right? So which is the actual capabilities of the reps themselves and how do we help drive that rather than nibbling around the edges with, well, let's give them some magic piece of collateral at the right time that's suddenly going to make the customer want to buy. And that's not really how it works. Right. Uh, to me, the, where the productivity ties back in, though, is that, yeah, it boils down to, you're talking about really these sort of soft skills on the part of, of the reps and soft behaviors that they can master. But it then ultimately boils down to, gosh, how much time do they have to invest with the customer in order to move them from interest to an order Absolutely. or an interest to a decision? And that seems to be a data point that no one really pays attention to. Because yeah, we, yeah. we spend a lot of time talking about length of sales cycle, but the fact is the length of sales cycles really has very little to do with productivity. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a duration on the part of the customer. 
Yeah, it's an, it's an elapsed time issue as opposed to the number of touch points or the amount of minutes it's, that are being spent in those touch points. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. But I think a lot of that ultimately also comes back to soft skills, uh, you know, as you say, in the sense sure. that the more you, the greater the ability you have to add value in that conversation, the more effective it's going to be. And if all you're doing is trotting out your features and benefits, then you're really not adding any value, you know, just to take the obvious example. And that's going to, at best, lengthen that elapsed time, increase those numbers of touch points and the, and the length of those touch points. And at worst, of course, lead to that conversation getting short circuited and, and going into the, you know, closed loss column, you know, even faster. Right. Well, so relating it back to coaching a little bit, I mean, one of the things that was really interesting and to me sort of compelling about that report that came out from the Sales Management Association was that that of all the areas of coaching that were sort of identified, in the minds of the people who surveyed, fundamentally, they all sort of had a common weight to them. I mean, they yeah. all sort of came in with sort of the same scale. So it's like everybody thought, all these managers surveyed thought that all the areas of their, their coaching were sort of of equal importance, which is not really the case at all. Right, right. Well, and I think part of that comes back to the lack of data around coaching and skills and what's working and what's not, right? So you're you're kind of almost coming back with an instinctual response, and the instinctual response is, oh, it's all important, uh, because you don't have the data to actually show what is actually driving faster sales cycles or better win rates or whatever, right. as opposed to what we might think it is. And to, to me, that's a big part of the overall problem that, you know, while we've added technology to other parts of the sales cycle, you know, and other parts of selling and sales management, we've not necessarily been able to do that around uh, helping understand the capabilities that people have, the skills and knowledge they carry around in the three pounds that are between their ears and the impact of that. Because you're right, and not only is it not all equally valuable, but everybody is at a different place on the spectrum or on, you know, on the graph in right. terms of each of those areas as well, right? So, and, and a big part of what we've been trying to do is, is get in, capture that data in the first place, because then we can start to look at it and we can build a picture, particularly with correlating that data around capabilities to actual sales results and see, well, what does the picture of an effective sales rep in our organization look like? You know, what are the skills, the knowledge that seem to matter based on actual sales outcomes? Because then maybe those are the areas we should focus with everybody else. Right. Okay. Well, one of your ways to address that and solutions to address that is you guys have rolled out this new system called your Coaching Hub. And tell people a little bit about what that does, so how that plays with what you're doing with your Q-Streams and integrating those with your coaching hub. Sure, sure. Well, we started out originally with QStream around this idea of how do we get behavior change? So how do we not simply train people or anything of that nature, which is the way it's traditionally done, but ultimately, how do we get the behaviors that we believe they need to be effective? And that's how we originally uh, started. But in, in, in going through our process uh, that's, that's based on the neuroscience from Harvard, uh, we realized that we were gathering a lot of data and, and a very rich picture about these sales reps who were participating. And maybe we could use that data to start to help coaching be something that's more data-driven rather than gut-driven, that has a bit more of a scalable process to it. And we started a couple of years ago with our manager dashboards, where we surface back these coaching opportunities, as we call them, where we're sifting through the data and coming into an individual manager and actually saying, hey, you know, Andy's doing great. Maybe you just want to send him a thumbs up to let him know he's doing well. Right. But Duncan's really struggling when it comes to positioning against this competitor. Do you want to start a coaching dialogue now? 
And it was relatively simple, quite honestly, but we were surfacing stuff for the first time for clients based on actual data of what their reps knew as opposed to what a manager might have thought they knew or didn't know. Right. And the reaction to that was phenomenal. So we started working with some of our, our bigger clients in particular uh, around this capability. And could we take this vision of a data-driven coaching and create something more powerful, something more scalable? And that ultimately led to the development of what we call the coaching hub. And what it's really all about is giving a frontline manager a view of their team that's got a richer picture of what they know and don't know, their capabilities and where they need help. And we use this baseball card analogy where you get a baseball card for each rep on your team and you get some summary data of where they're at right now that comes out of their participation in QStream. We now also have the ability for the manager to periodically capture some observed behavior. So observing confidence, observing um, proficiency, put that into the mix as well. And then finally, correlate it all against actual sales metrics to help build out that picture of what seems to be working for reps across the company. Okay, yeah, and if we break it back down for the audience or the listening, is, is at the heart of it, as I said, the QStream system where you have a client that's developed, I guess you call them QStreams, but... Uh, on their mobile devices, the reps are actually taking tests that are being tested on their knowledge about certain areas and certain behaviors and so on, right? That they might be uh, Yeah, we present, them, we present them with scenarios, typical scenarios they might find themselves in. They might be video-based or they might be reading it in text, and then they're choosing how they should respond. We right. tell them if they're right and why and so on. And they just do that for three minutes every day or every other day on their phone. On their phone, okay. And so as... That is the data that's that's being generated that's flowing into the coaching hub then. So when you're talking about proficiency and engagement and confidence and competencies and so on, it's based on, gosh, you know, you've created content and questions and scenarios specifically relating to your business, your competitors, your customers. And now you're being able to report back is, gosh, how engaged are my reps in in this process, in understanding the product, in understanding the customer, and that's reflected in the data that you capture. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, so again, if people think about this, this is all this data flowing down. You've, as you said, you work with large companies that could have thousands of sales rep. You're getting thousands of touch points generated every week. So in terms of a manager being able to coach now, you suddenly have access to this data that I think is really pretty exciting is that is, it's, it is data, right? You're not just guessing. Does, does Jack know, you know, how we competitively position ourselves against, you know, company XYZ? You don't have to guess. You actually know. Absolutely. And it, and it turns out to, there's two things that are important about that. One is that it's based on this clinically proven methodology that we implement. So it's not just random data. We actually can tell a lot from the data. And secondly, it's a lot more data than it might at first appear. So it's three minutes a day for the rep, which sounds like it's easy and painless, which it is. But because it's thousands of reps and they're doing that over a period of time, we gather a lot of data. The example I usually give is a big pharma client that ran two short Q-streams. One had 15 scenarios in it, one had 25 scenarios in it. And over a 90-day period, 3,000 reps participated in it. And that generated over a million data points about those 3,000 reps. And that's a pretty rich picture that we can that we can go through and sift through. And that's what our engine, our coaching hub does. It sifts through that data to surface the data that matters to the managers about their individual reps. Right. So, do they enforce and in, in when your customers are are putting out the Q streams for their reps? So how do they? You know, you have an engagement metric, which to me seems like you know that's sort of a 
<laughs> part of the entry fee of being in the job is you're going to you're going to engage with these things, but it seems like it doesn't really happen on a hundred percent basis. So thus, this engagement metric. Yeah, and it, well, it's interesting. So, firstly, we're very fortunate in that we've really fine-tuned a model over the years. So, we get these very high engagement rates typically in QStream. So, our average daily engagement rate from reps is ninety-four percent. So, meaning that on a okay. day when a particular Salesforce gets a scenario pushed to them, ninety-four percent of the reps will participate in it that day, and that's really off the charts compared to any kind of typical metric for engagement with a tool and so forth. In fact. We think probably the CRM itself is the only tool reps that our clients engage with more than on a more regular basis than QStream. QStream, right. To your point about engagement overall, we had this theory a number of years ago that we've borne out now in data that basically said, we think that engagement in QStream is probably a pretty good proxy for how engaged a rep is overall in their job. And the basic idea is, if you think about it, it's unlikely you're going to go to the trouble to carve out and think about QStream differently Mm -hmm. than the rest of your day, particularly when it's only three minutes. And that's actually been borne out. We've shown correlations, for example, at clients that where reps that under-engaged in QStream also underperformed in quota achievement in the same time period. So you can actually identify reps that are maybe checking out a little bit. Right. And that lead to a manager engagement. Maybe they feel they're not getting a lot of attention from their manager or that the organization is not investing in them. There's all kinds of reasons that you can then get a bit proactive about it and turn that rep around and get them reengaged. Right. So you, you talk about dashboard that exists is then so the managers get notifications about yeah, how well people are engaging, their proficiency and the, the queue streams of the scenarios they're being presented. And then the system generates like standard email templates for the coach or to use, the manager used to uh, have a coaching moment, suggests even what they could use to coach, the, the language they could use to help coach the rep, right? Absolutely. And it could be a way of just engaging with them and getting that dialogue going, whether it's about a proficiency issue, like an area where they need help around a skill or some knowledge, but it could also be absolutely around engagement and helping them re-engage and get re-energized about their job. So it's amazing and it continues to be fascinating to me that we uncover things in the data that are completely you know, non-obvious based on the idea of people just participating in three minutes a day, yet, yet there's all these fascinating insights that turn up. Well, give us some examples. Well, I think for me, the engagement one was probably the biggest one, the idea that it is a proxy overall. Mm-hmm. Another classic one for us that happened early on is we had uh, an organization come to us that was already a client where leadership, executive leadership was coming to the sales organization and essentially saying, look, we think the sales force is not meeting its numbers on our new product X because they don't understand the product well enough. So what based, they decided to- based Based on what? Based, based on whatever, this is what the, the, t- the day of the week or whatever they happen right. to feel on a particular right. day, you know, some gut instinct that they had. And they came to the enablement organization, the training organization, and said, look, you know, we want you to go, you know, run a training intervention on, on this product so that they can go sell more of it. So they put together a 12-scenario stream. you know, nice questions. They had some video in them and so forth and pushed those out to the sales force. And within 30 days, we had a very rich set of data coming back. And we came back 
to the organization and said, look, your average proficiency here is like 85%. So we're not sure what your problem is yet, but we can tell you for sure it's not a lack of product knowledge. That is not the problem here. So number one, we're immediately giving some hard evidence data to the sales organization to go back to executive leadership and say, look, it's not a lack of product knowledge. That's not the challenge here. But as we were sifting through the data, we were able to look at that and say, look, there is a problem around product knowledge in the Southwest specifically. Mm -hmm. So instead of spending the $2 million that you were going to spend to pull the entire national sales organization in from the field and do an intervention, don't do that. Don't take them out of the field, but spend a quarter million dollars in the Southwest and help the folks there that are struggling with some product knowledge. But that wasn't the fascinating thing. As we went through the data, the fascinating thing turned out to us that we saw a particular part of the organization, that a region that was struggling across the board. And it, it jumped out uh, in the data versus the rest of the national sales organization. Now, struggling, and, struggling in terms of their assessments with QStream or struggling in actual quota performance? Struggling, in this case, struggling in terms of the data we were seeing in QStream. So okay. their proficiency effectively. But often when you would see uh, you know struggling of course you're going to see a bell curve so you're going to see some people who are very advanced you're going to see some people who are struggling a little bit in a particular area you'll mm -hmm. always have that but normally you would expect that to be fairly randomly distributed around the country right just as people are distributed sure. that way and in this case we were seeing a very strong negative correlation in a particular region so everybody in that region was scoring substantially below the national average and it was very it literally jumped out in red you know, in some of our reports. Sure. So we were on a call where we were discussing this with uh, with the sales enablement folks. And quite honestly, we were a little bit nervous about this. But we said to them, look, the only conclusion we can come to when we look at this data is that you have a sales management problem exactly. in this region. <laughs> right. right? Now, remember, yeah, leadership issue, yes. Exactly. No sales managers had taken part in this QStream. There was no actual direct data about sales managers at all, right? So, and the call goes really quiet for what to me seemed like a long time, but was probably only about eight or 10 seconds. And then there's a voice on the end of the line that suddenly says, well, you've just confirmed something we suspected for the last six months. So it, it turns out this data is reflective of not just simple proficiency of the individual that answered one question or one scenario, but the richness of the picture, and in particular, the trends and comparisons to the organization as a whole can tell us a lot about what's going on in different parts of the organization. Well, yeah, I think what you measured there is you measured buy-in. I mean, that's yeah. one of the critical things, right? I mean, you, you look at uh, even like the challenger customer, what they talk about, the importance of buy-in in terms of customer decisions. Look at internally, right? Somebody hadn't bought into the program. And right. if they hadn't bought into the either the marketing messaging or whatever about that specific product, yeah, that's going to come out in this this data. Absolutely. It's a game of telephone at the end of the day. So if you end up with a regional VP and then ultimately a frontline sales manager that isn't bought into it, that's going to end up getting reflected in their attitude and in their interactions with their own direct reps and in the things they think are important and not important and prioritize or not. And ultimately, we saw it there reflected in proficiency. And that actually did correlate in that case to uh, reduced quota performance in that region ultimately as well. So it flows through all the way. So how do you how do you then integrate or do you in in coaching hub how do you integrate you know you still have to do deal coaching there's still opportunity coaching that exists that isn't necessarily reflected because you know the Q streams that are put up by an organization you know they tend to be fairly standard right they're for the entire four force or region as you said but you know an individual deal so how do you how do you blend that 
and get data and capture data about you know the effectiveness of deal coaching that your managers are doing versus what yeah. you see through your your Q streams. Yeah, well, there's a lot of opportunity to do that with the new coaching hub as well. I mean, we have a very deep integration with Salesforce. And one of the things that we're doing in the new coaching hub are triggers in Salesforce that can impact and flow into QStream instead of the data flowing just from QStream back into Salesforce. And I'll give you two examples. Sure. Uh, one is where you can set up triggers that actually either assign additional content or in a second case, trigger a coaching interaction, a coaching intervention by a sales manager based on events that are happening in Salesforce. So one of those might be, for example, that we notice that in Salesforce automatically that Duncan has just moved a deal from stage three to stage four, and it's it's a deal in the pharma industry. Mm-hmm. And two of the last three deals that Duncan has had that were pharma deals, he's lost at the negotiation stage. Okay. So we can trigger either automatically assigning QStream content just to Duncan that's going to proactively help Duncan in that area and or alert Duncan's manager that, hey, maybe you should have a coaching dialogue with Duncan around negotiation because of the following things. So we're using what's actually going on in the sales pipeline as well as data that we already have about Duncan in QStream to actually drive a specific intervention. Very interesting. Okay. And so – and you can you can set rules on that based on various things that happen. It could be stage migration. It could be too loitering too long in a stage. It could be. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and that's that's where we would work with you know the sales enablement and then the sales ops people inside a client around around the kinds of things. So we can gather an initial picture or diagnostic from QStream, mm-hmm. take some insights that they have themselves out of their pipeline analysis right. and, and so close one close loss analysis. Use that to drive some of the triggers, right. and then that drives the content and the coaching interventions, and uh, that allows that to happen at a level of scale again here. That's difficult to do because the triggers get fired obviously automatically nobody has to be constantly sifting through the data the manager doesn't have to be sifting through the pipeline and forecast reports trying to spot any of these patterns Mm -hmm. we're doing that for them in this case okay so we can help them focus on the part that they can really add value in which is going in and having the conversation having that coaching dialogue Okay, so sort of last question on this this part of the show is is this part of the conversation is so how does then all correlate back then to results to outcomes Right, so we're measuring proficiencies. Are really proficiencies in you know answering questions, then scenarios, participating in scenarios. But then, how does that then relate to the actual outcomes? You know, in terms of Salesforce overall performance on the part of the Salesforce. Yeah, well, we can we can drive that all the way through because one of the things we'll do then as well is we'll take our analytics data and we'll push it into Salesforce at a pretty atomic level, at quite a low level, so that we can then inside of Salesforce, using our own reports that we have or reports that the client develops, actually start to correlate proficiency and engagement and confidence data that's coming out of QStream with actual sales outcome data that's captured in the CRM itself as well. And that's one of the really exciting things that we've been doing in the last year, where, for example, one of our reports that we'll often do with the client is is a dashboard widget that managers can use on an ongoing basis Mm -hmm. that actually correlates pipeline growth with discovery skills. So we're capturing actual discovery skills proficiency from QStream. So how good are they at the discovery process with their pipeline growth? And that can be a great early warning indicator for a sales manager, for example. We might look at it and we might see that 
Paul's pipeline growth is not as good as we want it to be, but that's okay because Paul is relatively new to the organization. But Duncan's pipeline growth, although it's higher, is not where it needs to be. And he's been with us for a year, so that should really be a lot better. But we can see that his discovery skill is low. So again, that might prompt additional content or it might prompt a coaching intervention by the manager. Got it. Got it. Very cool. All right. Well, good. Duncan, we're just going to move in the last segment of the show. I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And uh, these are rapid fire questions. You can give me one word answers if you want, or you can elaborate if you wish. So um, first question for you is, in your mind, is it easier to teach a technical non-salesperson how to sell or a salesperson how to sell a technical product? The latter, I think definitely. Selling skills are much harder to teach, but we can teach anybody domain knowledge and technical knowledge. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, we get a lot of, um, we're going to correlate there, <laughs> get these answers and tabulate them at the end, but uh, we get a lot of mixed opinion on that one. So, so what's, um, what's one book that's not a sales book, maybe not even a business book, that you recommend that was influential in your life that you recommend every salesperson should read? I love a lesser known book by a guy called George Leonard, and the book is called Mastery. And he's a psychologist, and he's also, like me, a practitioner of a Japanese martial art called Aikido. And he kind of took what he knew from both worlds and Mm -hmm. put them together. And he talks about the different kind of personalities, about how people learn things. And he talks about the dabbler versus the hacker and so forth. And ultimately, it's all about about mastery and how uh, you can feel like you're plateauing at different levels, but it's really a constant uh, improvement. You just don't see it. It, There's inflection points where suddenly it pops to the surface. And I first read that book probably 25 years ago, and it was very influential and useful for me in terms of understanding myself and how I can develop my skills. And uh, I think it equally applies to sales as it does to almost anything. So are you still avid practitioner or practitioner of Aikido? I don't have as much time as I, as I wish I, uh, as I did uh, you know, when I was in college to do it, but uh, I certainly try. Okay. So you're out there with your bamboo sword and, and uh, competing? Uh, well, sometimes, sometimes you'll find me out there for sure, oh, either get, getting thrown around or throwing other people around. <laughs> okay. Um, so if you could change one thing about your business self, what would it be? If I could change one thing about my business self, I mean, I think I wish I could, I wish I knew then all the things I know now. And I think that statement will be true at any point in my life. Okay. Like that. All right. So last question for you. Do you have a favorite quotation or words of wisdom that you live by? You know, my probably my favorite one will sound a little bit hokey, and there's lots of lots of little sayings that I like in business and in management mm-hmm. and in sales. But at the end of the day, one of the ones that I like the most is a little bit more about just kind of doing a gut check. And when you're having a tough day um, yourself, and the quote, I'll, I'll mangle it a little bit, but it's something to the effect of, "Everyone you meet today is struggling with battles you know nothing about. Be kind always." I like that. I like that. Is that an Irish saying? It's not. It's not. And I forget even who said it or where I read it originally, but we just get so caught up in the day-to-day all the time and get overwhelmed by all these things that really probably aren't that important in the grand scheme of things. And we forget when we're interacting with other people, they're dealing with all their own internal struggles in their lives as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it gets down to sort of the heart of sales, which we've talked about on time and time again, which it's all about the other person. Yeah, exactly. Putting yourself... Putting yourself in the shoes of that other person is always a way to resolve a situation positively. Excellent. 
Okay, well, good. Well, Duncan, thanks for joining me on the show today. Tell people how they can find out more about QStream. Absolutely. They can certainly go to QStream.com and read a lot about us there and, and get a demo of the product or watch a two-minute video and also follow us on Twitter at QStream or on Facebook or LinkedIn as well. All right. Well, thank you. And thank you for spending time with us. And friends, thanks for joining us today. And remember, make it part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. An easy way to do that is to join my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Duncan Lennox, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. And if you enjoy Accelerate and the value we're delivering, please take a minute right now. Leave your feedback about this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to it. So again, thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.